0: Please turn in a copy of God's Word to Colossians chapter 3. If you're using the Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1,253. This morning, we're looking at Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. As you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones... Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we ask, O Lord, that You would send forth Your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand, change us from one degree of glory to the next. We ask these things in the name of our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. In Christ, we are new people. Uh, We are not who we once were. And now God calls us to live out whom we've become in Christ, especially in the context of God's people, the church. We've been going through this series now for a few weeks. Uh, As we pray for the Holy Spirit's leading, we we should follow Him when He leads us. And so last week we got through exactly one sub-point, and so hopefully today we'll get through a few more sub-points. We've been talking about this new life that we've been given in Christ uh, that we are not who we once were but the old has passed away behold the new has come we've gone if from being an unbeliever to a believer from being unsaved to saved we've gone from death spiritual death to spiritual life and you think of someone who is dead and someone who's alive and those are very very different situations and now that we are no longer dead, and now that we are actually spiritually alive, our life is meant to reflect this new spiritual life that is in us. that The Holy Spirit indwells in us, and we are enabled by the Spirit to say no to sin, and yes to holiness, godliness, and obedience. The rub, though, is that uh, we actually have to put forth some effort, don't we? Fighting sin is hard and fighting bad attitudes, and being sinful against each other, those things still come naturally to us because we still fight the battle with the old flesh, with our sinful nature still within us. And so, though we've been declared to be righteous and holy before God, His beloved ones, the having-been-loved-by-God ones, literally in the Greek, though we have been declared holy and His chosen ones, we now are called to live that new reality out and especially in the context of relationships. Indeed, the virtues we've been going through, they make no sense outside of relationships. You can't have humility unless it's involving other people. right? You can't have compassion towards um, a thing. You have to have compassion towards people. Um, Kindness is the same way, and the ones we're going to look at today, patience. Uh, and forgiveness, and love. These things only make sense within the context of relationships with other people. God did save us individually. We can say that. And we can also say God did not save us individually. He saved individuals, but He did not save individuals individually. He saved us together as God's people. Right? You are not saved by yourself. You're saved with God's people. In fact, There's no um, frame of reference in Scripture for a believer who does not belong to the local church because to be saved is to be saved adds God's people together. Now, the thing is, when sinners get together, you know what happens? Sin. That's what happens. You see it in your marriage. You see it in your friendships. You see it in your relationships. And in this context, Paul is calling us, especially within the context of God's people, that we are to put on these virtues that reflect Christ. Christ's character as we relate one to the other so we're going to Lord willing look at a very practical trifecta three uh, today and that of patience forgiveness and love now as we first think about patience a lot of times the way we think about patience is I'm doing well with patience if I'm not irritated or annoyed that someone's running late right right uh are you, so i imagine many of your marriages someone is more concerned about time than the other is that true yeah i'm not looking for hands but i see some nods right <laughs> and sometimes you have a, a more um you know south american view of time which is i show up when i want to and then others have much more of a TikTok time you're late if you're five minutes early and so sometimes we see patience as as long as i can navigate that well then i'm doing fine with patience Actually, the biblical word patience has a lot more to do than just fighting that irritation and being annoyed. One, one source defines it this way, the this, patience is the suffering of afflictions, pain, toil, calamity, provocation, or other evil with a calm, unruffled temper, or endurance without murmuring or fretfulness. Are you good at murmuring? It comes naturally to us, doesn't it? It makes us just feel so good about having to go through hard times and yet the the, god calls us to be patient and to be able to deal with those things without impatience now impatience is one of those words that actually sounds a lot better than all the sins that it is an umbrella term for i'm sorry i was just being impatient well Usually the way that impatience manifests itself is in anger and pride and selfishness and unkindness and a desire to control the situation and all the people involved. So we call that impatience, but in reality, it's, a, it's an umbrella for a lot of different things that are going on. And God says, look, you're better than that. In Christ, in Christ, you are called to... Uh, relate to others in your life in your marriage in your home with your parents with your children with your neighbors and especially in in the local congregation we are called to instead have a patience that it really comes from love and humility indeed patience and love so often we really could say those are interchangeable one source said that uh, patience is the primary expression of love Patience is the primary expression of love. Indeed, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is, and he fills in a blank, and what's the first thing he says? Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant. But why in the world will we need patience in the church? Well, because we're all a bunch of sinners. And none of us have it together. Not a single person in these pews has it together, or in the pulpit. Let me be real clear on that. None of us have it all together. We don't have the answers to all of life, right? We all have struggles. We all have problems. We all have blind spots. We all have quirks. We all have things that irritate others. And we all have things that irritate us from others. Um, so how, how are we to navigate these things? Right? That we would put on patient hearts towards each other. And that we wouldn't demand in our marriages, in our homes, justice or recompense or one-upmanship or a pound of flesh every time someone makes you mad. That's an interesting phrase, right? Makes you mad. Because no one can make us mad. No one can make us impatient. That just comes naturally to us. We're really good at it. And it's our reaction to the situation. I think the next phrase in Colossians 3.13, we're not spending a lot of time on this one because I think it's part of patience and part of forgiveness, and that's bearing with one another, bearing with one another. You know, when we're in community, we have to make the conscious decision, the conscious decision with effort of whether or not we're going to so focus on the faults of others that it keeps us from loving them, serving them, and learning from them, or we're going to make the conscious effort to overlook the faults of others and to be actually able to enjoy their company. Patience doesn't mean we don't take sin seriously. That's not what it means at all. But but most of the time it just lets us not make mountains out of molehills. Is this really a hill we're worth dying on? You know, as you think about your marriage, is it really worth blank? Bringing up the grammar problem again, right? Is it, or or, or when you or, or when you got the the uh, the the story wrong? Do you have to correct it every time, right? Instead, bearing with, bearing with each other, like yeah, she, he she they got that wrong, and you know what? It's just okay. Our marriage is going to survive. The day is not going to end. Impatience very much often looks like a critical spirit. Did you know that a critical spirit is not a gift from the Lord? A lot of times people will consider it a spiritual gift. Well, my job is to set everybody right. And the reality is that's not, that's not godly. Praise God that He doesn't deal with us like that. We couldn't make it through the day. Forget the day. The moment, love covers a multitude of sins. And we can so rob ourselves out of the joy of spending time in fellowship with others by nitpicking. By so focusing on others and their problems and their shortcomings that we miss them. This morning I did my Bible study in uh, Luke chapter 10, Mary and Martha. You know, Martha, uh, Jesus and his followers, they show up at Martha's house, and Martha has this huge spread prepared, and Mary had been helping. If you look at the text, Mary had been helping. Uh, and, and then, but Martha gets so angry. Why? Because Mary had decided to learn from Jesus. And she was at his feet, learning from him, hearing the words of life. And Martha is anxious and troubled by many things, according to Jesus. And it's, man, it escalates quickly. Because instead of talking to Mary, what does Martha do? She says, Lord God of all creation, God Almighty, will you please tell Mary to help me? Right? Martha's gotten so focused on how things are so wrong that she misses Jesus. So often we can get so focused on something not being right that we miss the people in front of us. God calls us to live patiently with each other. Because here's the thing I know you want people to be patient with you, I know I do. Y'all, I have so many faults, and I've I, I, I messed things up all the time. But when we come to each other from a place of gospel love and humility, that praise God for how patient He has been with me. And therefore, I can be patient with you, overlooking shortcomings, overlooking slights, bearing with one another in love. Y'all, that'll transform a relationship. It'll transform a church. It'll transform a marriage. It'll transform your relationship with your neighbors. Do your neighbors do anything that make you really mad? Do they have a dog that barks all the time? Uh, do they? Do they uh, I mean, you, you, I'm not going to say things because uh, I might be hitting too close to home somewhere. You know, patience is what God calls us to because God has been patient with us. First Timothy one sixteen. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me. As the foremost, Jesus might display His perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in Him for eternal life. Who's talking there? Paul. <laughs> Man, Paul, Jesus was really patient with Paul as He persecuted His people and He called him to repentance. And it was the example of Christ's perfect patience. Lord, give me that perfect patience. Love is patient. Love is kind. And it causes us to be able to bear with each other. The next uh, virtue we'll look at is that of forgiveness. And it's deeply tied to humility and to meekness and to patience. All these things are intertwined. Look at verse 13. Bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also should for No, 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 that's not what it says. So you also must forgive. That must. That must. That's a tough one, isn't it? Do you know that forgiveness isn't an option? It's really not. So tonight in our youth uh, gathering at my house, uh, 530, uh, please come. Um, I'll have lasagna and bread. And the fellowship would be great. And we're talking about how hard it is to forgive people. Out of the parable of the unforgiving servant. Uh, you know, we have been forgiven so much. You know, there's this great parable that Jesus tells in Luke 18. And he, he speaks of the, the first servant who has been forgiven billions of dollars. 10,000 talents a ta- of gold. And a talent was 75 pounds... That's a lot of money. This is like uh, country national debt level of money. And Jesus had forgiven, the the, the king representing God, had forgiven this first servant the 10,000 talents uh, that he he owed the king. And then the servant turns around and fails to forgive someone who owes him about half of a year's salary. Now, half of a year's salary is a good bit of money. And I think Jesus, in that parable, makes it a decent amount of money. Because the, re- the thing is that when people sin against us, it really does hurt. And forgiveness does not remove the seriousness of sin. Rather, that's what makes forgiveness so amazing, is that Jesus would forgive us our moral debt of our sin, the 10,000 talents worth of sin, that we might be enabled, because of His graciousness to us, that we might be enabled to obey this must-command to forgive each other. And especially when the slight is real. Especially when we really have been sinned against. Because we really did sin against God. Every sin is personal. And every sin that we have ever committed is personally directed to the One who made all things, and sustains all things, the One who is completely holy, righteous, and just. And yet, because of His love for us, the great love with which He loved us, He sent His Son. The Father sent His Son that He might die in our place, that He might forgive us because someone has paid the price for us. You know, uh, forgiveness is so connected, so connected to um, humility. Uh, Tim Keller in his great book, Prodigal God, says this, It is impossible to forgive someone if you feel superior to him or her. It is impossible to forgive someone if you feel superior to him or her. Because if we come to that kind of situation with pride, we will say, that person doesn't deserve my forgiveness. That person does not forgive my forgiveness. And then when we put it in the category of our salvation... So we think about Philippians 2, that God the Son would take on flesh and humble Himself. That we who were His enemies and dead in our trespasses and sins, according to Ephesians 2, these are the people that God would forgive. Did we deserve it? No. Forgiveness is hard though, isn't it? Forgiveness is really, really hard. Because forgiveness always involves a cost, always involves a cost. Our forgiveness involved cost, and it cost the father his son. It cost the son his life and the pain he went through, his humiliation, not just at the cross, but an entire life of living in the estate of humiliation, of being born of a virgin, being born under the law, being born into poverty. Yet... It means that when we forgive each other, we're letting go of something that we could otherwise demand. But in keeping unforgiveness in our heart, we we actually do more damage than we realize. A wise man once said that bitterness is the poison pill that we take that we're convinced is gonna kill the other person. When we fail to forgive, We are allowing the other person to have control over us, even if it's something that happened many, many decades ago. What happens if someone doesn't ask for your forgiveness? Do you have to forgive? Yes, you do. That doesn't mean that you're not hurt, but there will never be healing of hurt until there is forgiveness. It will linger in our hearts and until we do business with God and with others. Healing won't happen. There is great healing available in Christ as we forgive each other and we live in marriages and in community with our neighbors and our friends and our parents and our children and our church. There's great power in forgiveness. I know nothing more powerful in a marriage than a forgiving spirit. And I know nothing more powerful for evil in a marriage than an unforgiving spirit. So we are called to forgive. We're called to forgive because of the great cost that Christ paid for ours, that He was willingly humiliated, betrayed by a friend, falsely accused, abandoned by His followers, stripped bare, mocked, spat upon, beaten to within a hair of His life, forced to carry the instrument of His execution in public, nailed to a cross, railed on by a man next to Him, derided by the religious leaders below Him, and endured the wrath of God from above Him. He died in our place and was laid low in the grave and was left there for three days. But because the tomb was empty, we know our sins really are forgiven. And there's nothing that God cannot forgive. Have you sought the Lord first in salvation? Did you know that if you confess your sins that He is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and to cleanse you? Of all your uncleannesses, all your unrighteousness, all that shame, Jesus took it on the cross. And so as the recipients of forgiveness, who are we to withhold that from others? You know, Peter, when he comes and asks Jesus, how many times must I forgive someone? Seven times? Now we look at Peter and say, man, you really got it wrong, didn't you? But Peter was actually being pretty godly in his culture. In his culture, you're required, was it two or three times, you're required to to forgive twice, I think. Maybe it was three, but I think it was twice. And then on the third time, you were not required to to forgive the person who had sinned against you. You gave him a chance, two of them, actually. And Peter says, hey, I'll double it and add one. And Jesus comes to him and basically answers, you never stop having to forgive him. Seventy times seven, or seventy-seven times, depending on your translation. Either way, it's a lot. It's a number of completion, of perfection, of continual needing to forgive because here's the thing we always have to go back to jesus daily and say please forgive me again because the same thing i asked for forgiveness yesterday I, I i did it again today and so in our marriages and our relationships we extend forgiveness now let, let me say very quickly before we leave some of you have been sinned against in very significant ways very significant ways perhaps in your childhood Perhaps in your marriages, I don't know all your stories. Uh, and so when we forgive, God's not calling us to be stupid, right? Sometimes we have to put, put up boundaries that are very healthy and are for our own health and good. And so if you need help figuring out what some of those boundaries are, uh, come talk to me. I'd be glad to help you work through those. All right, the third thing and the greatest thing is verse, in verse uh, 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is the chief and summary of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul really could have just said love. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. The rest of them is really the, the outfleshing, the fleshing out of love. Uh, love is the summation of the two greatest commandments, to love God and to love neighbor. Um, it's the whole reason we have salvation because God loved us first and because of the great love with which He loved us? That's the only answer we're given in Scripture of why He loves us. Ephesians 2, because of the great love with which He loved us. Why did He love us? Because He loves us. Um, it, the, the word here uh, binds here. It's, it's from the noun bond in the Greek. And, and, it, and it literally uh, refers to ligaments. You know, ligaments hold bones together. And if you don't have a ligament, they're not going to be held together. In fact, some of you have torn ligaments, and and that's not helpful, is it? And it hurts. And then your body doesn't do what it's supposed to. Well, well, he's saying in in your marriage, in your relationship with others, uh, and especially in the church, that this whole thing is bound together. The bond that keeps it together, the ligament that keeps us together is love. Now, first, it is the love of God in Christ for his bride. That he is the body, he is the head. We are being built up together into the mature man of being Christians, right? of being the church. Uh, and it's the love of God which bonds us together, first and foremost. But secondly, it is the love that we have each other, for each other that keeps us working, keeps us moving, especially when there are stressors. You know, Ligaments are so important when there are stressors on your body that's what's going to keep things moving the correct way and keep them from not going the wrong way and the same thing is true in a marriage and in a church and a relationship that when those bonds when those ligaments of love are so are, are very strong then whatever stressors come you are bound still together in perfect harmony one with each other that we can say hey you sinned against me there can be repentance, and there can be restoration and reconciliation. We sin against each other all the time in our communities, in the church, in our marriages, against fathers and sons and sons and fathers and mothers and daughters and, and ad nauseum. And, and we can say, because of the love that I've received from God, I can ask for forgiveness, I can repent of my sins, I confess that I did, to, did this to you. And There can be healing in our relationship because there is this strong ligament of love that is ours because of what Christ has done in our hearts. Well, the love with which we love each other finds its source in Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. So Remember we talked at the very beginning about I'm not who I once was, nor are you if you're a Christian. Right? The old has passed away, the new has come. And Galatians 2:20 supports that. I have been crucified with Christ, my old self, nailed to the cross. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. What's that talking about? It's talking about the Spirit. The Spirit of Christ dwells within us, enabling us to say no to sin and, and yes to godliness, yes to patience, yes to forgiveness, yes to love. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. My friends, We will struggle to have patience and forgiveness and love for each other if we first don't understand God's amazing love for us because we will be so insecure. I have insecurities. Do you have insecurities? We all have insecurities. And so oftentimes, those insecurities come from a place of not knowing who we are in Christ that I'm a beloved of the Father that I've been chosen by Him, that I've been declared holy and righteous, and that my, f- my brother, Christ, has counted me His co-heir. And one day, when Christ comes again, He will openly acknowledge me and you as His adopted children. That one's mine. That one's mine. And when we come to a place of understanding God's love for us, which makes no sense, it's irrational in the sense that we don't deserve it, it's completely rational in that God is the God of perfect logic and love. And His love is lavished upon those who don't deserve it like you and me. And when we grow in the depth of understanding that love for us, it will overflow in the love that we have for others. We will be enabled to love others and be patient and forgive because we will see how we have received those things in spades from God. So in Christ we are new people. We are not who we once were. And now God calls us to live out whom we become in Christ especially in the community of God's people. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the love with which you've loved us, the patience that you have shown to us, and the forgiveness that we have in Christ. I pray, O God, that you would help us to extend those things to others. We pray these things in the name of Christ our Savior. Amen. We'll conclude our service as we stand and sing all verses of 337, Pass Me Not.